Dr. Emily Funk Reynolds, and you are listening to the Confessions of a Young Doctor podcast, where we are striving for a balance at work and at home so that we can be the best for our patients, our family, and most importantly, for ourselves. A majority of U.S. doctors will face at least one medical malpractice suit in their career. Let me say that again. A majority of U.S. doctors will face at least one medical malpractice suit in their career. Alright guys, I know this topic may not sound the most interesting, but as you can see, it is super important. You 100% need malpractice insurance. In fact, most states require it. Um, the exact requirements will vary by state, so make sure that you are good for wherever you're practicing. Um, and if you move states, change jobs, you may need to reassess your malpractice coverage to make sure that you are in compliance with your state. So like I said, I know this topic is a little bit dry, but I think it's something that is super important. And as with everything on the podcast, is not something that we were really taught in school. So I wanted to dedicate a whole episode to this and just kind of give you a basic overview of what malpractice insurance is, the kinds of policies, and things to look out for when you are getting coverage. Um, and this is something that I am looking into doing myself right now so it is perfect timing because i know all about it (laughs) so i have done all of the hard work for you um just sit back and listen to this week's episode and you will have a great overview of everything that you need to know alrighty so first um how do you get malpractice insurance there are a few different options for getting insurance um, and depending on where you are, what your situation is, um, that may differ. So the first and most basic way is just an individual or group policy that you get um, directly from a traditional private insurer. Um, And that is if you are going to go out and do this on your own, either for yourself as a sole provider or um, for the practice that you own or are working in. Um, The next is um, an individual group policy obtained through something called a medical risk retention group. Um, And what that is, is basically a mutual organization of doctors um, and it's a liability insurance company that is owned by its members so this kind of allows businesses with similar insurance needs so similar um, practitioners to kind of pool their risks and form um, an insurance company that they operate on their own as long as it um, complies to state regulated guidelines. This is something that's a little bit more complicated and I would say probably as a young doctor, um, not what you are going to be looking at. 
um, it's going to be either that first option or the third option, which is coverage provided as part of a policy held by your employer. And this is what is common if you work in a hospital or large um, corporate practice setting. So if you are an employee, a doctor, um, your liability coverage is probably offered as part of a larger group plan that is purchased by your hospital or the health system that you work for. Um, And some important things to ask or to look at if this is your situation is um, if you are getting your coverage through your employer, are you the one paying for it? Is it coming out of your paycheck and they are just um, obtaining the policy for you? Um, if so, is it pre-tax, post-tax? Um, just something to look out and consider. Often you don't really have much of a say in this, um, but it's nice to know where the money is coming from. Um, another big thing is is it what is called a shared limit policy and what that means is that you and basically all of the other individuals that are named on the policy and that can be you know anybody that works for the health system in a clinical role um, all of you are sharing the same policy limit Um, so that could potentially reduce the amount of coverage that is available to you if it is kind of being eaten up um, by other individuals. So let's say, you know, this is just for round numbers, but let's say you have a million dollars in coverage if one of the other doctors, you know, settles for $500,000, then there would only be $500,000 left for you. So if you find yourself in a situation um, where you are in a claim that is $750,000, there's only $500,000 left. And again, for medical malpractice, those numbers could be much, much more um, than that, especially if you are in a large policy, but that's just as an example. So because of that, um, the general recommendation is that doctors have their own policy limits as individuals, even though it's all under one larger group policy. Um, And then, you know, also look at the coverage that you're actually getting as part of your employer's policy um, and if you're not satisfied with that coverage you may want to get more additional coverage in your own policy um, outside of your employer's policy Um, just because something meets the state regulations and requirements um, it might not be satisfactory to you having supplemental coverage is particularly important if you do any type of medical services outside of your employment because often um, policies that are provided to you by your employer only cover you for medical services that are provided 
in your place of employment or as part of your job. So that means if you, you know, volunteer um, through an organization or um, do anything on the side, like moonlighting or have a separate work situation, um, then you would not be covered under your employer malpractice policy. Um, And I know there is something called the Good Samaritan Law, um, which kind of protects you. However, that only protects you in emergency situations. So if you are in a non-emergency situation, um, volunteering, doing some kind of mission trip or something like that, um, it's important that you have some coverage for those instances um, just in case anything happens. A lot of companies will offer these kind of part-time or moonlighting policies at discounted rates. Um, So generally it's not a huge expense, but something that in case you find yourself in that situation, um, you will be very glad that you have and is something that I think is probably often overlooked by doctors. Um, they assume, you know, that they're volunteering and they're doing something great and no one is going to sue you. But uh, I think we can all say that in today's world, you never know what people are going to do um, or look to get from you. So just keep that in mind for sure. Okay, so once you have your policy um, and you know that you're covered, what exactly does that mean? So generally, um, medical malpractice is for any expenses that are associated with defending or settling um, malpractice suits. So that can cover attorney's fees, court's fees, um, arbitration costs, any settlement costs if you do settle, um, or punitive and compensatory damages, medical damages. Um, An important thing is that malpractice does not cover any liability um, for sexual misconduct, criminal acts, or inappropriate alteration of medical records. So, um, you know, mistakes do happen, but if you are doing something that is blatantly wrong and um, criminal, (laughs) then it's not going to cover you. So that doesn't mean that you can go and do whatever you want, but I think that you guys probably already knew that. So in general, there are two types of malpractice policies. The first is what's called an occurrence policy, and what this does is it covers any claim for an event that took place during the period of coverage, even if the claim itself is filed after the policy lapses. Um, So what that means is, let's say I am working at an office from 2018 to 2020, and then in 2020, I go and I leave and I get a new job somewhere else. And so I no longer um, have that policy anymore that I had at my job from 2018 to 2020. And then six months after I leave in 
2021, a patient that I treated in 2019 decides that they want to file a claim against me. If I have an occurrence policy, I, it would still be covered um, because I had an occurrence malpractice policy from 2018 to 2019. So something that happened in 2019 is covered even though I no longer have that policy at the time that the claim itself was filed. Um, that is not the case if I have a claims made policy. So claims made is the other main type of malpractice policy and this only provides coverage if the policy is in effect both when the treatment took place and when the lawsuit is filed. So if I had a claims made policy from 2018 to 2020 and that patient files a claim against me in 2021 for something that happened in 2019, yes, I had coverage when um, the treatment took place. However, I don't still have that coverage when the claim is made. So that would not be covered. Um, so because of this, some claims made policies have what is called tail coverage. And what that does is it extends the coverage for a set amount of time, say, you know, three or five years after the policy ends. Um, and so this is something that you might want to purchase um, when you change insurance policies or if you get a new job um, or way, way in the future if you're ready to retire. Um, the thing is that tail coverage is usually an additional expense um, and you often have to purchase it at the end of your policy when you are, you know, getting rid of your claims made coverage and they can generally be around one and a half to two times of the typical annual malpractice insurance premium that you've been paying. Um, and this is important because, um, if you are working under a large group policy provided by your employer, obviously when you leave that job, um, you're no longer going to have that policy coverage. Um, so the cost of tail coverage might be covered um, by your previous practice um, to make sure you know that they're covered. Um, but it's not guaranteed. Um, it's something that you want to try to work out um, before you sign your contract. Ideally, I think it's something you want to negotiate up front because if you tell your employer that you're leaving, um, they don't really have any incentive to do anything good for you. But if you are in the hiring process still, um, you know, they're trying to get you to come work for them. So um, you're in a much better position to negotiate um, potential tail coverage, even though it's something that would 
happen in the event that you leave, if it's written in your original job contract, um, then you can take advantage of it. If for some reason you are already working and you didn't negotiate that and you're thinking, oh crap, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are out of luck. You can still ask your employer to cover it, um, but another option would also be to ask your new employer um, to cover it. So when you are changing jobs, the new practice or healthcare system that you're going to might be willing to pay um, for tail coverage on your old policy, um, and that's a potential, you know, bargaining chip that you could use. Um, so definitely, if you can, try to get one of your employers to pay for it. Um, but if not, I personally feel like it's something that you need because essentially you are, you know, leaving yourself without any coverage for anything that might have happened while you were working at your prior job. So occurrence and claims made are the two main types of policies. Um, and you may be listening to this thinking, okay, occurrence sounds way better. Um, because it doesn't require that tail coverage. Um, but because of that, it is typically more expensive and it's not commonly offered by employers. Um, so just keep in mind um, what the things you need to watch out for are um, and your potential options with a claims made policy when it comes to getting that tail. Um, another thing that I think is important to point out kind of in the fine print of policies is um, something called consent to settle. And what that is, is basically saying, does the company, the insurance company, have to get your approval in order to settle a claim? Um, so if somebody does file a claim against you, um, the insurance companies might want to settle um, because it's safer and cheaper. Um, so as we know, with insurance, their goal is to pay as least amount of money as possible. Um, and that's no different for you and your malpractice. So um, taking a case to court will cost them additional legal fees, lawyer time, it takes longer, um, and there is always the risk that if you lose in court uh, that, you know, the payout will be even larger than a settlement. Uh, so some policies, the company has the authority to settle um, if they feel that it is, quote, reasonable um, without getting your approval. Uh, and this can be problematic because, you know, when you settle on a case, you're basically more or less, you know, accepting fault. Um, and this will probably be on your record with the state. Um, your premiums may go up and it's going to be more difficult for you to get future uh, malpractice insurance with other companies because you will kind of have this, you know, mark on your record. Um, and it's it's public knowledge. Um, patients can look it up. Future employers can look it up. So it's not, you know, ideal um, to have on your, you know, quote, record. And you may 
not feel like their definition of reasonable is the same as yours. Um, so you definitely want to have pure consent to settle, which means that you have to give consent, um, for them to settle. And sometimes it can be written that you have consent to settle, but then there'll be something, um, called a hammer clause. And what that is, is again, you know, a little trick from the insurance companies, but basically it says that if you refuse um, to consent to a settlement that's recommended by the insurer, they won't settle. However, their liability for the claim won't exceed the amount for which the claim could have been settled. Um, and any extra costs incurred, um, will fall on you. So let's say your insurance company wants to settle for a million dollars and you say no, um, you think the claim is unfounded and you want to, you know, continue through the legal process. That means that if your case goes to court and you lose and let's say they give the patient um 1.25 million is what they say that you have to pay them um your insurance company is only going to pay a million dollars um so that extra 250,000 will also you know fall on you um you'll have to come up with that money even though you have malpractice insurance um and then any lawyer's fees that were incurred um because of you wanting to you know push forth with the lawsuit um you will also be responsible for so that's something to watch even if the policy says that you have you have to give your consent to settle. Um, it's not necessarily what's called pure consent to settle. So pure consent to settle means that you have to give the okay to settle. And if you say no, they have to keep pushing forward um, with the suit in your defense. And there's no cost to you for that. Um, whereas consent to settle with a hammer clause would be where you can refuse to settle, um, but any additional costs incurred from that point are your responsibility. Okay, so I hope this is all making sense to you guys so far. Um, there's only one more thing that I want to touch on, and um, that is that some policies will now also include cyber liability. Um, so because of the increased popularity of electronic health records and, you know, digital charting, um, this is basically additional protection against any breaches in cybersecurity that can compromise your EHR. Um, so things like HIPAA violations, privacy injury, um, or cyber extortion loss um, can all be covered as part of your malpractice insurance. Um, so something that might be a nice bonus um, to have in your policy if you are able to afford it. But 
that is kind of a basic overview of all the different components of malpractice insurance, how um, it gets paid, the different types of policies, and I know this was kind of a dense, information-heavy episode, so if you need to go back and listen to this one again with a pen and paper, um, definitely go ahead and do it. Also, if you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Um, the best way is probably on Instagram at doctor.confessions. Um, just send me a message. And, you know, I also want to close this out by saying that I am not an insurance broker. Um, this is just what I have learned in doing my own research, trying to get coverage for myself. Um, so, this is just meant as an introduction to the different terminology and um, some basic types and formats for different policies. So please, you know, don't take this as gospel. Do your due diligence and um, make sure that you are dealing with professionals that you can trust. Um, and I hope this was helpful. And I promise to make next week's episode a little bit more fun, but I think this is something super important that we need to make sure we are paying good attention to so that, you know, God forbid in the future something does happen that we are well prepared and protected. So if you don't know the answers to a lot of these questions about your own policy, um, I encourage you to go find out ASAP and if needed, um, you know, change some things around so that you are in a good position. Alrighty, so I hope you guys have a great week. As always, if you found this episode helpful, please share with your friends and leave us a review so that more and more people can find the podcast and I will catch y'all in the next one. Thank you.